This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and this episode, I am lucky enough to welcome the Karim Capriotto on to help kind of flesh out an idea I have about how we value our time, maybe, specifically when it pertains to training. So, Karm, thank you again for joining me. It's always a pleasure. It's great to be here, Matt. I, um, you and I spent a lot of time on your great podcast as we collaborated. I, hope, I think everyone knows we produce it at the Aftermarket Radio Network. And, uh, and Matt runs a ton of the ideas by me. And when he called me with this one, I said, oh, this is cool. I have a whole bunch of things to say. Can I be on your show? <laughs> and he says, well, I think so. Okay, if you pull me. <laughs> so thanks for having me. Oh, can't thank you enough. And we might as well thank our sponsor right away. Since its launch in 2020, the Napa Auto Care member site has continued to evolve to keep members updated on all Napa programs, promotions, benefits, and other information available to help their businesses thrive. If you're a Napa Auto Care member, visit member.napaautocare.com to access the member portal. Not a Napa Auto Care Center? Contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store to learn more about how to join the Napa family. They're a really good sponsor. I'm really happy to have them. Good peoples, good peoples. So the nature of this was I was listening to people uh, both live, you know, in person at Vision, which was great, great to be back in person again. Uh, Great to interact with people face-to-face in the lobby and class, have an actual instructor uh, up front, the sage on the stage. Something that came up a couple of times in the lobby and then afterwards in conversations on the phone, uh, reading stuff on social media posts is feeling like they're taking less and less away from these events or less and less away from uh, training classes and starting to doubt whether their time is well spent in those classrooms or at these conferences. So I had a, I had a thought about that. Maybe, I'll, maybe I should let you go first. No, no, no. I don't let me go first because okay. I, I want you to develop your thinking and, and, and I, I, I would like to help interject and maybe shore it up along the way because recent aftermarket weekly, uh, I saw this commitment to training from a, from a shop owner and something really unique that he's doing. And I shared it with a, a group of independents this morning at a breakfast meeting and they said, Oh, wow, we didn't think of it that way. And me and my, I get on my soapbox about building a training resume, and I'd love to talk about that later in the show. But but go ahead and set up your whole concept. It's great. Uh, one's a concept, I think. The other one's just taking something we already kind of do and argue about, argue for, and just tweaking the equation ever so slightly. So the first one is, I started thinking about my history of going to training. And the first events, especially like these big events. So in my world, that was uh, the Linder Tech, either Guru School or the Linder Tech um, uh, conferences, networking conferences, and then Vision. Those were the heavy hitters. I was very lucky early on uh, in my career to be able to attend uh, John Thornton classes live. Kind of spoiled there. And that sets a pretty high bar. Did you go to Chicago for that? No, he came up to Minneapolis. Okay. Nice. Who sponsored that? 
Yeah, automotive seminars. Okay, so, cool. They brought it in. All right, great. Yeah, I mean, the quick story is uh, John wrote uh, a column, if you will, every other month or so for Underhood Service Magazine. Okay. Called The column's name was Diagnostic Dilemmas. I collected those and read them over and over and over and over. At the end, you know, he'd have his photo and a little short bio. One of these, he made the mistake, I feel, (laughs) a mistake of putting his email address in there. Whoops. And yeah, uh, we're in the process of trying to upgrade diagnostic equipment. I wanted to buy a new lab scope and the scope he was using in his articles, I had never seen before. I didn't know what it was. And I was like, well, you know, maybe I want one like that. And so I email him asking him about scopes. We're going to look at this uh, at the time, brand new. Vtronics 5100. I was looking at that. I was also really looking at, you know, what did he have or something else? And he responded that it'd probably be easier just to talk over the phone. So he gives me his phone number. And one Saturday, he spent the better part of an hour talking on the phone with me about lab scopes. So I felt the need to repay him and I didn't know how, but I saw somewhere in his bio that he would do training classes. So I called him up and asked him how we could get him up to Minneapolis. And he was willing to make the drive if there was enough shops to support it. He put me in contact with his, uh, or the owner of Automotive Seminars, kind of his, um, I don't know what you would call it, salesman maybe? At least for Automotive Seminars, uh, Tim Hotelling. Sure. And I talked to him and he called around and he built up enough shops to uh, send John up to us. And that was, it was great sent me down a really good path and uh, a friendship too that you know that's probably the ultimate out of it all is just a really good friend out of it was that a big start for you into training or not yeah i mean or was it a big start to realize what quality training was that was probably the big the big thing is i had been to other training and i knew i needed it and not saying i didn't get anything from it but to go from that to john uh, that's it's mind blowing. Not just the quality of the content itself, which is don't get me wrong, like maybe that's paramount, but also just him as the delivery system, how he goes about presenting, the passion he has for what he's doing and what he's presenting, and I, I mean, he's just not to really blow smoke up his tail, but he, it's really it's John, and then everybody else. And that's not knocking everybody else, but I mean, what other comparisons do you want to make? You want to go into the sports world? You know, there was, and that's just the way it is. And I, you know, when he retires and he deserves to retire whenever he wants, but when, when he retires, that's going to leave a heck of a, a heck of a vacuum. It's supposed to be a quick story about that. I had set the, the bar got set pretty high, right? And over the years, going to vision specifically because lenders eventually, uh, you know, went away. Right? They, Jim, kind of retired, semi-retired, kind of got out of that. He's still around though, and retired, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, as, yeah. as far as I, know, yeah, he's a. I think he's alive and well, and good. Got, it'd be nice to get him on one of our shows. To be honest, that'd he's, be so cool. I mean, really. By the way, I'm kind of getting warm to the word legacy, Matt. And, and, and Jim Linder would be a perfect, you know, not on my show, but, but you to bring on a legacy interview like that. And, you know, let's you know, talk about 
the, the bygone days, and it may be fun for so many uh, middle-aged and younger technicians to learn, you know, what he did and, and why it affected you so much. Uh, I, I encourage you to, to do that. That'd be great. And they have such a unique perspective. Yeah. You know, I, I the age stuff, I suppose, is the older you get, a little more sensitive you get to being called old. But really? Mm. Well, I think that's everybody, right? I mean, it's hard to... Yeah, you know, mortality sucks. They call me old, but I'm fighting that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fight all you want. But those older guys, whatever older means, I don't know what that means, but whatever it means, they have such a unique perspective on things. I mean, they were they were in it in the you know the carburetor days. There was no electronic ignition; it was points. But then that stuff came, and they they came and they conquered, and more came and they conquered. More technology came and they conquered and and not just conquered, like they killed it. Like they bought into it. They, they ate that stuff up. They figured it out. Plus they had this foundational understanding of the quote unquote old stuff. I have to apologize. I think I listen to myself sometimes and I say quote unquote a lot, but this is the truth. The, the older stuff, that foundational knowledge leading into the next technology, leading into the, the next technology and me coming in, uh, carburetors were pretty much gone. My All my college classes, they kind of held up a carburetor and said, this is a carburetor. Hope you don't run into one. We're talking about fuel injection. You know, they maybe covered the very, very basics of a carburetor, but we didn't have to rebuild any or anything like that. I got into the shop and had to, but I kind of missed out on a lot of that. Rewinding back to our the first episode I ever did with you, just you and me, like the craftsmanship part of it, missing out on that. I never had to rebuild a transmission. I never had to rebuild an engine. And it's just something you don't really do. But when you don't do it, you don't get that foundational knowledge. And I think it, in a way it hurts a little bit. Those guys have, they have an advantage, especially if they've kept up on the changing technology, be it on the vehicle or the equipment we use. God, I'm jealous. In a way, I'm jealous. Yeah, I hear. You know, they could listen to the vehicle and knew exactly what was wrong just by listening. And it didn't matter what component, if it was undercarriage, if it was engine, brake suspension, they could listen and know. But you said, I love this foundational knowledge thing, Matt. Yeah. When you came into the industry with fuel injection, you were getting foundational knowledge from that point forward. Jim has it from, you know, the 50s or 60s and forward. I don't know what what the yeah. decade is. It doesn't matter. But, but you could... You know, when you get a little gray hair around the temple, somebody younger may come up and says, well, Matt has all that foundational knowledge. They probably should, especially if they're, you know, the, the guys with the gray hair remember it all. <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah right. <laughs> they do. They really do. I mean, I'll oh, darn it. Well, Some of that stuff, even on the newest of vehicles, if it's got a issue that would transcend the uh, existence of the internal combustion engine, we'll just say some kind of a noise, like a knocking noise. They walk over and they listen to it and they rev it a few times. And it doesn't matter what's all piled on top of the engine. They listen to it and they're like, that's a wrist pin. Yeah, exactly. How do you know? I just know. How do you know? I just know. <laughs> it's because I, that's... It's kind of like a doctor that's done, you know, a, a thousand open heart surgeries. He could probably do it with his eyes closed. Yeah. I suppose getting back to the main line here... After a while attending all this, you feel like you're taking away less and less. Like the first few years, you're almost overwhelmed with, I don't know if it's knowledge, but at least 
facts and ideas and we'll just say knowledge. You're just kind of almost overwhelmed. And then you go back to the shop and hopefully you can put it into um, practice. And you go back for more. And then you feel like you're taking away a little bit less and a little bit less and a little bit less. And now maybe fast forward five, seven years and you're leaving classes with maybe taking one nugget of, you know, of wisdom or knowledge or something you may, may not have known and feeling almost gypped. Not that it's the fault of the conference or the instructor or anything like that. It's just you kind of feel gypped like. Maybe I shouldn't have paid all this money to come here. I could have found this wisdom somewhere else and not spent all this money. But you're adding to. So that's kind of my idea with this is I want to relate this to a collection. I relate this to a collection. So as a you know kid, never really collected a whole lot of stuff except for um, model tractors, small tractors, 14th scale, 16th scale tractors, only because my grandpa had a bunch of them in the implement. And if I mowed the, the, you know, the yard, if you will, the, the lot up at the implement, he would pay me, quote unquote, pay me with tractors, model tractors. You know, that was the extent of my collection. But I have friends that they are hardcore into collecting either comic books or, I was thinking like Star Wars figures. There's a finite number of them. Meaning if you if you're going to collect some Star Wars figurines and figures and uh maybe you know toys we'll say there's probably a catalog somewhere either handwritten or printed on a spreadsheet or available somehow somewhere of all the if Mattel made them or some company made all these figurines you know what's all in existence and you start collecting them and you probably started collecting them when you're younger just because you liked them, but you got some that you played with and then you got ones that you were told to kind of keep in the box or keep in the packaging because they maintain their value and you're off to the, off to the races. You start making, start this collection. You know, maybe it's transformers, maybe it's Barbie dolls. It doesn't matter what it is. Care bears. There's a finite number of them and you start out and the easy ones to acquire are probably fairly you know, at least on expense wise on the lower end until you start getting to where your collection is getting full, getting close to full. And there's only a few left, but the few left are the ones that are either hardest to get. They have monetary value, if only because of the rarity or just because from your own personal need to complete the set, Mm -hmm. increase value. So this one figurine, that you started out with cost you $5, but you've got 10 left to get. And there's Chewbacca. You don't have that one yet. And he's super, super rare to get. And you found a seller and he wants 250 bucks for it. And then one hand, you're thinking pound sand. And the other hand's like, take my money. Here you go. Now I got, I'm one step closer to the complete set. Okay. Well, training knowledge there, it's not really finite. I suppose we could argue it is, you're only capable of learning so much if only because of the amount of time you have to learn it. Yeah. But you don't know where that is, right? We, we don't know where the, the end is. So that might be where there's a little bit of a deviation from it. But still, you start acquiring knowledge rather easily at the beginning. You know, just because there's so much to learn. You're, this access to this whole new world, whole new way of testing uh, be it just a technique or 
uh, test tool you don't have, you know, so you, your shop doesn't have an oscilloscope yet. You go to a couple of classes that use oscilloscopes and your eyes are forced wide open. You, your hair's blowing back like, oh my God, I'm missing out. We had one of these last year. If we had had this piece of equipment, we could have figured it out in, you know, an hour instead of a week. Huh. So then you buy the, you go to the class, you buy the oscilloscope, you go to more classes, you put it to use. And eventually the nuggets of wisdom are going to get fewer and fewer because they have to. But my argument is, is that yes, that one figure, figurine I bought towards the end was worth, you know, I paid 50 times more for that one figurine than I, than I would have the one that I started out with. But that one is worth all of this. So yes, when I started out going to these training conferences, it cost me $1,000 between the conference and the travel and the hotel and food and whatever. And I learned so much. It was so worth it. Fast forward five years, it's $1,000. It's $1,200 due to inflation. And I'm coming back with, you know, instead of just dozens of things, coming back with five things. But those five things are probably worth every bit what you would have, you know, quote, kind of paid for the first dozens. Now, they're more than worth it. They're, they increase in value to you. They should increase in value. In your examples, just pick a class title. The class title is X. Just doesn't matter what it is. And now you've decided to take Another class at Vision along the same concept, same lines, and now it's actually a different trainer. And there may be something new, a couple of neat new tricks, maybe a different case study, but you take all your knowledge and all the work that you've done literally inside and on the vehicle with this piece of equipment or whatever it is that you're going in for. And you are solidifying, affirming, and clarifying that what you have been learning and using is working. And now here I want to take these ooh, five or six new things, and I don't feel as fulfilled as I did in the previous one. And your argument, which I think has so much value, is don't sell it short. It's part of the whole package. Yes, 100%. That you have to learn to accept that over time, as, as your wealth of knowledge increases, the individual value of wisdom or knowledge becomes worth that much more. And there's going to be fewer of them, but the value of each piece is tenfold or more of what it used to be. It, it just, that's how it has to work. I love the concept of collections because it's a collection of knowledge that you're constantly going through. I mean, we're, we're, we're learning things in life about people and families and self, you know, forget about my career, but life poses you challenges every day, Matt. I mean, you've done such great episodes on the human condition and, and, and the learning that you've done and the learning that you continue to have to go through. Uh, I don't think we're, we're never done learning your point don't go to a seminar that you think you're not going to get something from because you will have a positive attitude going in so that it's why would you pick the class unless your own shop owner pick the class for you and say, you know, I really don't want to go here. You know, I, this is, this will be my third time. 
And, and, and I have a concept of how to manage this. And whenever you're ready, I'd love to toss it at you. If rating or grading classes, we don't really do that, right? We don't, you know, this is a level one, level two. I don't know how well text would accept something like that, but in a way it would help. You know, I think even when you start getting into like SAE world and stuff like that, like engineering world, I think there's certain things where they have like prerequisites. Like don't, you probably don't want to be in this class if you don't have these foundational classes Uh, or vice versa. Like if you're up here, you know, that you don't need to be down here. This introductory class, if you want to come in, it's your money, your time, you're more than welcome, but don't really want to hear the complaints about you didn't learn anything from an introductory class when you're maybe an advanced uh, level attendee, you know, now gets into that weird dichotomy of where, you know, how do you rate yourself? There's certain people that rate themselves much, much lower than they really are skill wise or knowledge wise. And then there's the opposite end where they think they're cream of the crop and maybe they are, but doesn't mean you don't have holes in your arsenal either. Right. A rating is relative to the position in life or career that you're in. And, you know, you may be tougher on rating a class, maybe not the instructor, but class content later on as you get smarter, but still realize, did you learn anything? And if you did, you can't, you can't knock the rating of the class because there are other people in there that probably rated it an A and you rated it a C just why? Because you've heard it before. It shouldn't matter. Right. And that should, I agree with that. That's, I dislike when that happens because just because you didn't learn anything doesn't mean it's a C class because if the class description, you know, these are the points we're going to cover yeah. and they covered them and everything they said was accurate. It's an A level class. I mean, it, it may not be, uh, advanced level, but it doesn't mean it's a low, you know, deserves a poor grade because you didn't take anything away from it because you happen to be fairly knowledgeable in the topic that the class was covering. If everything they said is accurate, it's A, A, A plus, whatever. It's, it's a good class. It so firmly fits into your concept of being a collection. If say this is your third class over say five years, same damn class. Maybe maybe it has advanced in the title. Right. It goes into your collection. That's your point. Yeah. It goes into your collection of knowledge. And if you pull something from that someday, how could you have rated something so poor or felt so bad about what you learned when there was a gem that fell from the tree? Yeah. And you say something, you don't annoy me, but the point you make annoys me to no end because they put advanced in the titles of these classes because you jerks won't go to a class that doesn't say advanced. If it says something like basic or intro or something of that nature, so many, it doesn't, it's not just text, anybody, they won't go. They're sitting around in the marketing table. Hey, great class, but nobody showed the last time because we said the words basic. So let's call it advanced Training for the basic electrician. <laughs> yeah, that, like they, they got to stick yeah. these. Yeah, you force their hands. Like, 
I think you were one of the guys more that has ring, rang this bell all the years that I've known you about. I, you just can't get enough electrical. And then when I hear your shows that you've done with Sean and it, just just the knowledge you have on electricity and ohms and volts and amps and some of this other stuff you talk about that's way beyond my pay grade. Einstein stuff, I call it. It's amazing that... I, I don't know where you learned it, how you learned it, but trust me, you just didn't pick this up by not studying and learning and going to class over and over and over again and then experimenting with it and saying, oh, finally a breakthrough. I get it. Are you a repair shop owner? Do you find yourself struggling with any of the following? Uncertainty about the future and competition. Are you spending too much time managing chaos and struggling with new employees? Do you lack time to invest in learning best practices or there's no time to spend on effective marketing? How do your finances look? Are you reactive rather than proactive? Do you know where you should be, when to grow, when to shrink? If any of those situations describe where you are today, you are finally in the right place. Repair Shop of Tomorrow is Napa Auto Care's newest endorsed partner. They are helping shops all over the nation run more profitable automotive repair shops by utilizing proven business best practice marketing and coaching to leverage NAPA programs to drive quality, car count, sales, and profits. Repair Shop of Tomorrow will look at productivity, efficiencies, effective labor rate, average hours per car, labor profit percentage, measure and manage labor, and how you can create net profit. Team up with coaches to create systems, operations, and procedures using a business flowchart to help you reach your goals. Repair Shop of Tomorrow will help measure and manage the results to help each business succeed. Best of all, it's not do-it-yourself. It's all done for you. Their goal is to help dealers do what they do best, fix cars and build relationships at the counter and in the community. Repair Shop of Tomorrow will take the other minutiae off your plate. The Repair Shop of Tomorrow offers a tier-based program to not only generate more business today, but to transform your shop into a top-level shop of tomorrow. Repair Shop of Tomorrow can teach you how to make your shop profitable. They can teach you how to recruit and how to make more labor dollars for your shop. Interested in Repair Shop of Tomorrow? Call 440-545-1230 for a free 20-minute no-obligation consultation or contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store. It comes down to just that innate desire to know how something really works. And that goes all the way back to childhood. Like I needed to know. Probably one of those stories nobody needs to hear, but there's a very specific time in first grade, the school library. And there's a row of books, a shelf of books on the topic. At the time, space was all I cared about. That's what I read about. And I wanted to read those books but I was not at a high enough reading level. So I go to the librarian, like, what do I got to do to read those books? Well, you got to be at, you know, what level three, you're at level one, you know, you got to kind of stay over here. I could give a rip about these books. I want to read those. What do I got to do? And so she gave me the path. And two weeks later, guess where Matt was, you know, reading the books he cared about. So that's the stuff with the electrical, electronics, physics. That's all staying up till absurd times in the morning reading books that are way over my head. I listened to what you had to say 
Knowing that I was coming on your show, I want to talk about corralling your collection. <laughs> okay. And so I want to make a couple of points, if you will. Uh, on one of our shows, we do a show that we publish as a podcast every Saturday. It's called Aftermarket Weekly, and we actually broadcast it live on Tuesdays. And it is the live tour of a shop every week. We, we have, a, you know, we're, we're coming up to our 100th week of doing shop tours. Wow. And uh, we did a show with uh, Young Tech, six years into business, young shop owner. I got a very interesting background. You really like this guy, Matt. His name is Matt Wagg, and he runs a company, Accelerated Diagnostics and Automotive. He's in Bennington, Nebraska. And in his shop, in the tour, we're going upstairs. He says, well, we still have to make an office out of this someday and a nice you know, room for our guys. But I said, stop the tape. What's that cabinet full of all those books? And he goes, those are all the manuals from all the training that I've had and my people have had. And, he, and, and, and the camera pans and he, there's a box on the floor next to the cabinet. And I said, what's that? I hired a new tech. He started a few weeks ago. He brought his collection of training books in, and we're going to add them to the cabinet. There is not just a certificate on the wall and, and the book in the bottom drawer of the toolbox. These are, this, it's, their, it's their library. It's their collection of knowledge. And I'm not saying it's the brainiac part. It's, it's, it's the hard piece. It's the paper. It's the place where the notes are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because you may not remember the exact fact, or the shortcut, or the arrow, or the circle, or 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 go see page thirty, and you know because you're into it, like you are. You would never go to a class if you weren't mind melded with the instructor. I mean, that's just you. You want to read at a tenth grade level, you're in fifth grade. You know, God, amazing. I mean, that's but that's you. And so I wanted to share that because it lends itself to your the topic here today. But the next is, and I've talked about this on other shows, is training resume. And I have really rolled this by a bunch of shop owners. In fact, this morning again, as I was with our independent group networking after the, after the meeting, I, I talked to this one shop owner that he, he finally says, listen, we're going to close and go to Vision um, probably next year. I'm starting to save for it. And I, and I talked to him about he's going to close, take, take the text. And I said, could you please do me a favor, Dan? Start doing a, a training resume on all of your guys. And so from a shop owner, you, you, here it is. You've got the technician's name, the date of the class, the title of the class, the venue that it was at, the sponsor of the event could have been the parts supplier at three, the three-hour pizza night, or it could have been an all-day eight-hour. It could have been virtual all day, all weekend, at night, because they all have different meaning. They all have different takeaways. They all have different ways to present, right? And then the time invested, you know, was it a day? How many hours were put in? Who the trainer was, because I think that's incredibly important. Yep. Yep. And the text rating level of the instruction respectfully so, you know, was this something that I really enjoyed and, and took away from the cost of that training event and then who paid for it. 
to me, that is one incredible, you know, because if, if, if the owner says, well, I didn't pay for that. And eventually he looks at that thing and he says, my guys are investing thousands of dollars in getting training because they're bringing me the stuff for their training resume. Now think about it being a tech, the date of the class, the title of the class, the venue, the sponsor, the time invested, the trainer, my rating, a note of my takeaway of that class, who was the shop I was working for when I took this class, the cost, and who paid for it. It was slightly different, but the concept are there. Why aren't, I don't know if we're doing this, but I want to get on the biggest soapbox that I can and tell the industry that we need, if, if the shop keeps one on you, still as a tech, you need to keep it on yourself. Matt, if you had this since day one, I bet you you'd have 150 lines on an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, at the very least. At the yeah. very least. And my point is this. If you go back and resort that and say this was a GDI class, as an example, and you, and you sorted it or just filtered it out and you looked at that and said, well, I took one from John and I took one from, you know, who, Scott, whoever it was. And this one is basic or this one is advanced or whatever the titles are. What did I learn and what didn't I learn? But you know what? It's been a few years since I took this and I'm looking at the vision, you know, uh, all the courses and, I, and I'm, I'm literally sitting down and not just checking a box over here, but I'm doing my homework to be sure that no matter what I'm spending or no matter what my owner is spending, I'm going to get something to build my career and my collection of training. So I said my, I said my piece. No, it's, but it's a good piece. Um, yeah, the, I, the only thing I would add to it is have your training resume like that, just as you illustrated. And then um, maybe make use of data collection case studies, if you will. Make, make your own case studies. And it doesn't, it doesn't always have to be diagnostics. Like I, I'm guilty as anybody for always relating things to diagnostics because that's my life. That's short-sighted on my part because it involves so much more. Whatever it is you do, a few photos, maybe a link to some service information, a quick story in PowerPoint, in Google Slides, something. And that can be part of your resume too. Could you imagine going around? I mean, right now, techs are at a premium. Techs are at a premium. Even if you're happy where you're at, I'm not, I'm not saying to go around and always be looking for a job, but sometimes it is healthy to just kind of see what's out there. If you have your resume, all where you all worked, and then as Carm has laid out with the uh, training resume, and then you have a few case studies, it doesn't matter. Breaks. You had a, a neat issue where the car pulled, you know, you stepped on the brake pedal and it per, pulled hard left, and then you let off the brake pedal and it pulled hard right. And how you deduced what was wrong it ended up being a, a brake hose. But you kind of lay out some photos. Um, maybe you cut the brake hose apart and proved your point, found the restriction, or you could see where the corrosion had built up around, you know, one of the brackets, something of that nature. Yeah. You got photos. You wrote a little quick story, and you're presenting this to a, a potential employer, and they're reading through this, going like, "Wow, this this person, this tech, he or she has a process." 
maybe I would have done something different here. Maybe I would have done something different there, but they have a process. They have a process that works and they got all this training here. So they're working on their process. This is, I mean, man, we're going to go into a Deming conversation. If we're not careful, (laughs) we're forever working on the process and how much that would mean to that prospective employer. Yeah. Uh, two takeaways. You did an episode with me almost about a year ago, June of 2021 on journaling, and you just described it. Okay. Yep. Please go to Remarkable Results Radio, uh, type in Matt Fonslower, just 648. Listen to this episode because Matt is really describing the power and the value of taking those moments per day, those examples. Uh, it's not like building your own case studies, but it's kind of like building your own case studies through journaling and how easy it is like in a Google Doc to type in a search and find all the the key talking points, if you will, that you that yep. you wrote down. But the other big thing is you interviewed Dutch Silverstein, and it was a phenomenal episode. And I know you're going to follow it up with part two. But it, And by the way, it was at the big event. I did the keynote speech there, by the way. I'd love to maybe share with the audience what I did. But I went up to a bunch of technicians at the end of it, and they said hi to me and everything. And he says, wow, that episode that Matt did with Dutch, he says, was so profound as Dutch was telling me what I needed to do when I'm sitting down with an owner. And they said, it was so profound. And when the owner asked me questions, I had to have answers. But what I could ask the owner that I never yes. thought about, okay? Yeah. And so in part of you selling yourself to an owner is this training resume and yes. and your journaling, even if you cut a, take a couple of pages of your journaling with you in, in, in the folder. Uh, I, I mean, you know what? We're, we're almost talking a level of sophistication, Matt, that is yes. necessary for the next level. Yeah. And I think this is like one of those topics, like, like a lot of topics I find myself involved in. And maybe it's a subject I struggle with to really truly understand is value. And like what we're talking about here with the, the training resume and the journaling and all that is no different than the digital vehicle inspections, the DVIs, the long, long is maybe a relative word, but the detailed explanation in text of, on the invoice, on the work order of what you did and the photo documentation of what you did, what you found, what's good, what's bad. You're building value. The shop builds value in what it does by uh, taking detailed information down on the invoices, photos, all that, presenting to the client so they feel like they're getting their money's worth. Now you are building value in uh, yourself as a technician, as an employee by having the training resume, something that's not normally presented. I know. By having your journals that you kind of document your days. Yeah. I mean, that would be, could you imagine being an employer sitting there listening to somebody that you're as a prospect and they're showing you the, their, you know, Google Docs or their Microsoft Word and day after day, maybe it's a paragraph, maybe it's a few sentences, maybe there's a long story that's almost a page long on one day and seeing how every day you're, you're jotting down something about the day. And oh, by the way, it's searchable. So next time if I run into this weird problem, I just have to go up to the search bar. Blah, blah, blah. I get six pages throughout the history of my uh, journaling addressing this type of issue or bringing up the, the terms I use for the search, of, of course. 
And I can flip through there and go, oh, that was the vehicle I was thinking of. And this is what I did. Yep. Okay. Now I got a direction. Imagine, imagine presenting that to a prospective employer. Imagine being an employer or potential employer sitting across from somebody showing you this, like, this is all the training you've gone to. This is, you know, your, your journals over months, years, you're going home and spending time or not even at home. Maybe you just do it quick before you go to go home. Just run up to the laptop, pull up your Google slide, dome, got it saved. And there it is. And that, and it's searchable. Maybe one day it's a couple sentences, a paragraph. And, you know, maybe like I said before, maybe some other times it's a fair bit in detail, but man, you know, it's just, to me, it's the same thing as what a shop does for a client. We build value by documentation, by you know, writing detailed reports, by taking photos, videos, whatever it is. We build value uh, in the services we provide. Technicians, employees, not just a technician, any, any spot on the roster. You're building value in what you do, what you provide, what you're going to bring to the table. That's what it's all about. You are describing to me the kind of person that would work for NASA. And every time I say that, somebody says it sounds like Nassau County, but it's NASA, NASA, the National, NASA. Aer- the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA. NASA. But I was on stage and G. Trulia come up to me at the end and he goes, Carm, it's not Nassau County. It's not Nassau, the Bahamas. It's NASA. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was trying to, I'm trying to make a correlation, Matt. This is why you just kind of landed in my lap on this of, of working for a NASA shop. And, and do you work for a NASA shop? Do you own a NASA shop? And I drew, drew the correlation that when President Kennedy in 1962 put the challenge out to us to land on the moon before the end of the decade, which we did in 1969, and I looked up the value set, the career opportunities, the integrity, the honesty, the processes and the systems and all that stuff about NASA, and I said, Oh my God, I can see a parallel to running a shop and working for a shop and having the kind of training and commitment and career and learning something new all the time, stretching the means of tech. And oh, by the way, I put up pictures of, you know, the moon lander, you know, this little crappy ass dashboard. (laughs) And, And how the hell did it happen? How did they do that with such little technology? And today we have so much and it goes to the it goes to autonomy. It goes to ADAS. It goes to change tires, got to do an alignment, may have to have to do an alignment because of the ADAS calibration. And it's all of this integrated stuff that exists in what we're doing in space today at a far, far level, 150 million lines of code in an F-150 Ford and all those really cool things you hear and says, so why, 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 I'm not, why am I not learning and training and why am I not going to the class three times in three years to build my collection of knowledge. Hello. So uh, it's it's amazing. We're doing this. Last weekend, I was in New York speaking the same thing to a bunch of technicians and shop owners. And, uh, and I think I'm onto something and I wouldn't mind doing that same speech at other places. What I'm hearing though, a NASA shop means Chris Clodier has got to take us to the next level. Yes. Cameras aren't good enough. <laughs> it's got to be like James Webb telescope type stuff yeah. in the shop. So Chris, if you're listening to this, yes, Chris, 
you have your mission. Now yes. go forth and yes. wreak havoc. Yes, Chris is our NASA guy, right, Chris? And uh, wow, wow! Can you imagine him being let loose with technology? Oh, already. I mean, he's got some really good ideas. I know. Uh, there's one other twist that I brought up earlier about this with the um, the training type stuff and the choosing. I don't know about choosing, but at least valuing your time or how you're going, how maybe you interpret the value of your time, uh, how it is spent collecting these uh, more rare, if you will, nuggets of wisdom, or at least far fewer, you know, you're, you're receiving, receiving them far less frequently. And that's like at the shop again, every day, usually, right? Every day we do something where there's either a minimum charge uh, or a minimum amount of time. And we'll just, we'll go back to diagnostics because that's what I know and love. We'll just come up with a, a really weak example, but it, I think it illustrates it. I hope most of us, I think most, and maybe I shouldn't say us, but most shops that are focused on growth and improving and profit because profit somehow became a swear word. It's not, we got a profit. That's where everything comes from. Okay. The ones that really take that seriously, and we're talking about ethical profit. And I know that could be, dicey for definition, everybody's idea of eth- what what's ethical and that might not always match up. But I think in the grand scheme, we can agree on what's unethical and basically what's ethical. So anyways, a car comes in, client wants you to look at it, it's got a check engine light on and maybe doesn't, maybe they don't feel like it uh, is quite as got the same pep that they're used to having, you know, the little bit of a bog on acceleration or something like that. So you as a tech walk out there with your scan tool and you plug in and you have lean codes. Okay. And you go on a very quick test drive. And before you really even leave the parking lot and turn onto the street, you kind of know what's wrong. So you kind of finish the quick lap or whatever you do for a test drive, a very, you know, the short one, maybe go down the street and back, pull it into your shot, pull it into the bay, open the hood, you're going right for the air filter housing, right for the mass airflow sensor, wherever that's mounted, pulling the mass airflow sensor, grabbing your flashlight, looking, and you can see that the, you know, the elements are very, very dirty or, you know, contaminated. All right. This is a slam dunk. You've done this. You have less than 10 minutes invested. Okay. You're going to sell them a mass airflow sensor and maybe an air filter. Okay. And let's just assume for the sake of this discussion that this fixes the vehicle and this is an ethical repair that you had every reason to suspect the air filter contaminated the mass airflow. And maybe some people will clean the mass airflow sensor. I think that's a different debate. We'll just say that this is the ethical repair. You present the customer with the estimate and they okay it. But part of the estimate is the diagnostic charge. You charge them an entire hour or an hour and a half or what equates to an hour, or equates to an hour and a half. It's the basic diagnostic fee, but you have 10 minutes invested. This is good practice because you would argue the client is not paying me for the 10 minutes I spent analyzing this vehicle. They are paying me for the hours of after-work training. They're paying me for the years of experience. I've run into this before. They're paying me for the scan tool, 
the scan tool updates my time as an employee, shop time, my expertise, whatever. How we're, we're kind of where we got to be, right? That's what they're paying for. That's the value. Well, why can't we train? Why can't we twist this a little bit into the training? Because we're basically saying that 10 minutes is just as valuable as an hour or an hour and a half. That's a fine argument. That's I'm not even arguing that. It is what it is. So why can't we twist this ever so slightly to where those five nuggets of wisdom over this weekend is not the same value as the dozens you used to get when you first started going? I don't know, thought experiment, if you will. No, you're 100% right. If you look at the at the five classes you went to, that helped you gain that knowledge. And just say, for example, you got eight, nine hundred bucks in the training. Why shouldn't you be paid for it? Shop. If it doesn't matter if, if, if you're a shop owner charging, or if you're a technician charging or the owner of the shop you work for is charging and charging, as you say, ethically, it's the same story about the carpenter that goes into the house with a squeaking floor and he spends 10 minutes and he puts the wedge from the basement to stop the squeak in the floor up top. And he says it'll be $100. And they are flabbergasted. Are you kidding me? You've just been here 10 minutes. He says, yes, but it's been 20 years to learn, you know, where where exactly to put that wedge and, and how to find it. And that's why I'm going to charge you $100. That's what it is. Think of the mistakes you made as you learned to, to, to make your collection have value to you. And think of the training that you you won't stop. There's going to be new technology, new ways to play with your PicoScope. And, Matt, I talked to guys that spend $30,000 to take their people to Vision, close the shop, take them there, paid for it all when they get back in the entire month of March because of, you know, all the new stuff that they learned in this spree de core of coming back, being a team tighter than ever before. And that costs. So you can't shortcut. The, why do you train? So that you be, can become efficient. Yeah. And cost might not even be the proper word, but it's what exactly what you're saying. There's certain, yes. there's certain um, intangibles to that that get really rough to measure. You know, I, I know, I know from business management perspective, measuring, measuring, measuring is important. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that's very, very difficult to measure. And therefore, there, there's got to be kind of a fudge factor. And you have to accept that there's certain intangibles that you see the money leave the checkbook you are not going to see the money going directly back because of it. It's not like I buy this part, I sell it to you, and I make I get to deposit this amount of money. You hired me to do this service. I paid my tech this much money. She he went and did that. We sold you this part. I can see the money going out and I can see the return coming back in. Yay. But not everything works that way. They're going to write there's money going out of the checkbook that you will see leave but you can't see it coming back directly mm -hmm. and not all at once. It's going to be over time, but it's there and it's the margins are there. Yeah. It's, it's so worth it. I stand corrected on me saying it cost them. I mean, every one of these guys, it's, it's an investment of theirs, it's but nitpicking, but yeah, but to your point, uh, it's intangible as a result you can't see it come in. You may not be able to point to the fact that look at all I spent and that I get my value back. But if you're not, if you are training, then you know 
if you're managing your training, if you're getting your guys to come back and share their knowledge, because when you teach, you learn, and they become a resource for each other, and your culture is one of, you know, high performance and, you know, and, and big knowledge where, you know, if you will, it's this collective brain, this, if you will, Oz of training. <laughs> and I, I can't see how anyone would, would look at training as a cost, especially if uh, if they're using training for all the right reasons yeah i think if everybody just tweaks not maybe not everybody but when you start really doubting the investment to just change the parameters a little bit to change alter the equation ever so slightly twist it ever so slightly move some variables it still ends up being very much true but i think then you can start seeing the value coming back like oh okay i'm undervaluing this knowledge I'm gaining or these facts or, you know, whatever we want to call that, this information, I'm undervaluing it because now it's harder for me to get. I have to value it that much more. It has to mean that much more. That's my sales pitch. And are you sticking to it no matter what? <laughs> At least for today. I don't, I don't anticipate changing my mind on this. Though. That's So ironically, the other night, Anne's going through her tablet and she bumps into the original Barbie Original box, original bathing suit, $27,500. Wow. And you know what she said to me? Wow. I had one. I said, where is it? She goes, I don't know, but I have to go look for it. I still think I have it. Yeah. My dad had um, a couple of baseball cards. They would be worth um, a lot, a lot of money. Where are they? No idea because they disappeared when he went to Vietnam. Oh man. When he came back from Vietnam, oh. he thought they were in a certain place <laughs> and they weren't. <laughs> well, Ann thought it was in a certain place and she actually went last night to look for it and uh, she couldn't find it. And I, I haven't had a chance to get upset over that concept yet, but, um, again, it goes back to this whole premise, <laughs> you know, you have a collectible item in training. Save it, use it, parlay it, talk about it, write it, resume it, sell it. Yep. <laughs> what else am I missing? Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, it's it's easy to share, especially with your colleagues. And you know, if you're going to share, try to at least reference where you Got it from. And you won't remember. Yeah, a year down the road, you won't remember. Was it at ASTE? Was it at Vision? Where, you know, was I at Apex? Where, where was I that I got this training? And that's why I think it's important to build that resume. I, I think what I want to do for you, Matt, is in your show notes, I, I think I want to write down all those things I talked about, okay? We'll put them in cool. like a bullet list so someone can go to your show notes page and uh, and I'll have the tech what the, what the tech would want to have and what the shop would want to have. Very similar, but just slightly different. And uh, this could be a trend. In, in fact, let's, let's try to make this an important thing. Build your own resume to, to every technician and every shop owner. Build a resume on your people's. You'll never know what training you need to have next. And, and if somebody did go to this kind of training because you paid for them to go and they're having comebacks, they're having missed diags and stuff like that. Well, then you need to, you need to go out because Matt, you're the who and the why guy. You're the who and the why. And, and I'm sorry, you're the how and the why guy. How does it work? Yep. Yep. Why does it work? Right. 
And and we need to, it's not like we're holding people accountable, but we want to challenge if, if there's knowledge transfer in these classes. We want to challenge yep. it. We want to know that it's working. Yep. I could not agree more. This was fun. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. I really enjoyed it. Please come on again. You just have to knock. <laughs> All right. That's the end of yet another Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I would like to thank Napa for sponsoring us. And I would also like to thank Carm for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this. Please remember to click the like button or the subscribe button on YouTube. And don't hesitate to reach out to me with any kinds of ideas or to be a guest on the show. Thank you so very much. And we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow, diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.